All right, everyone. Do you want to come and grab a seat? Let's get started. Now, before we get into what the Bible's got to say to us today, I wonder if any of you have ever been to a wedding recently? Had the privilege of that. Some of us this afternoon, after here, are going to a blessing of a wedding. I have the privilege of conducting that between two of them. People have been coming to church here, Charlie and Becky. And as part of a wedding ceremony is the bride and the groom make promises to each other. And the promises... Can sometimes the wording can change, but the gist is the same. They promise to be faithful to one another. They promise to love one another. They promise to honor and care for one another. And that's just kind of what happens. And the husband usually does it first. He says it to the wife. And then the wife then says it back to the husband. And they make these great promises that they intend to keep throughout their life. But having been married myself, we've just clocked just over 18 years those promises are not always easy to keep because we are human. We get things wrong. We fail. We have bad days when we don't feel particularly loving, honoring, or caring in our attitude towards one another. Something our dearly beloved might do might irritate us, annoy us. Obviously, I don't do this. I'm just talking about Melanie, but I want to embarrass her. But that's what happens. And we're gonna, I'm going to hear these promises this afternoon between Charlie and Becky. And I know they want to keep them. And I know they'll do everything they can to do it. But at the end of the day, we're human. And we don't always measure up to the promises we make. Even think about promises you've made. You've made them over your life and various things. And sometimes you've managed to keep them. Sometimes you've tried so hard and fallen short. Sometimes you've just failed because you've been disobedient and not wanted to. And what we're going to look at today are the promises of God. The promises God gave to his people. And the difference when you're talking about promises God makes to his people is suddenly on a whole different level to promises we make to one another. Promises we make to our friends, promises we make to our children, promises we make to our spouses. We, try as we might, we fail because we're fallen, we're sinful, we're lazy, we're apathetic. Sometimes we're sinful, but that doesn't apply to God. When God makes promises... They come to pass. When God makes promises, they happen. There was never any doubt that he will not fulfill on his word because God is faithful and God is powerful and God can make them come about. And what we're going to look at today is God's promises to his people being fulfilled. And so we're looking in the book of Joshua. Do you remember that book? We started it. Back in September, we were going to preach through the entire book of Joshua. We took a break for Christmas. We came back to it in the new year. We rolled down there. Then we had a break for Easter. We've had a couple of guest preachers. We're now back into it. And what I'm going to talk to you today about is actually a sermon I wrote for March. But we had, in March, we had snow. So we didn't, it was the one we cancelled and said we can't come. There was snow. They wouldn't open the building. So this is two months, three months too late but it's the same sermon. So we are going to the book of Joshua. If you've got your Bible, go to chapter 13. We're effectively halfway through the book. We're going to speed up because I'm going to do six chapters in one hit today. You're welcome. I'm not going to read it all, just so you know. It will be good in your own time to read it, but when we go through it, you'll kind of get the gist of why I haven't, not because I don't think the Word of God is not important. It's vital. It's just for the context for this particular section of the Bible 
it's better to approach it as an overview just so we get the, um, the handle on it. Let me give you a very quick recap on the book of Joshua. The first five chapters of the book of Joshua are known as the preparation phase, where people are about to enter the land. God promised to Abraham that he would give a land to his people. He said to Abraham, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. So they come to the promised land and they get ready. The first few chapters, they've been led out of Egypt under Moses. Moses dies. Joshua becomes the new leader. He's the appointed successor of Moses. So they get ready to go into the land. They send in spies to scout it out. They meet this lady, Rahab, who's a Gentile, not a Jew. She's a member of the land. She's a pagan, but she turns to have faith in the God of Israel and becomes part of the people of Israel. And she helps them. They then cross the River Jordan, so they actually physically enter the land as a people. Massive event in the life of the history of Israel. So they finally get to the land. They then have a celebration to celebrate the Passover. Then what enters chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 are known as the warfare section of the book, where they take the land. You have the famous story of the Battle of Jericho, followed by... Achan sin, where it all goes kind of horribly wrong. There are further victories. They have the renewal of the covenant, where they, just, they remind themselves that they're following God, and that's the most important thing. And then we have a very kind of quick, over the last few chapters there, um, an account of them taking the land that God had given them, defeating God's enemies, those who would set them up in opposition to God um, and his rules, and they were wiped out, they were defeated by God's people. Now we're going to hit the Next section, the third section of the book, which is chapters 13 to 22, and we're going to take a big chunk of them today, which is the inheritance section, where people are receiving the land that God has promised them. So our big idea for today is that the people of God will receive the inheritance promised by God. The people of God will receive the inheritance promised by God. So the second half of the book of Joshua is very different to the first half. first half has lots of stories, exciting stuff, stuff that would make good movies. Kind of, oh, what's going to happen? Battles and all sorts of encounters with God and, you know, really impressive stuff. When you get to the second half of the book, it usually enthusiasm tails off because you have a lot more lists than narrative. So in one sense, it gets a little duller if you're just reading it through and not sure what you're reading. It's like, this isn't inciting anymore. But for the people of God, this bit was the bit. This was the fulfillment of what God had said. This was the bit that they had been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. So this was kind of the final. This is what, this is what everything from Genesis chapter 12 all the way through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy was leading to now. Hundreds of years worth of history and they'd finally reached it. And if you scan through those chapters now, just look through, there's loads of details in there. It's like a geography lesson, a dull geography lesson. Maybe I shouldn't have to say dull geography. It's a geography lesson, said the geographer. But it's just like this river and that mountain. Ah, oh, oh, who cares? But the people of God cares. And God himself cared. That's why he put it in his word for eternity. So we need to care about it. And this was a time of great joy. The, the promises that were given to Abraham back in Genesis chapters 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, God came to Abraham and said, I will give you this land. This land you're living in, the land that you're, he says you're a sojourner, you're a wanderer, you're just a nomad wandering around with a tent. 
Your descendants are going to own this land. They're going to possess this land. They're going to live in this land. They're going to have the cities here and their children will grow up in this land. And finally, we get the kind of fruition of that promise here in Joshua. And so if you've got your Bible, if we're going to go to chapter 13, let me go through it. And it kind of follows a logical order in what they're doing. So we'll just whiz through it so you've got an idea. And I'd encourage you to come back and have a read of it just so you've actually read it and tried to understand it in the context of God's big story of his people. So, beginning of chapter 13. So we've got up to chapter 12. If you missed any of those sermons, go online, grab them. But we're on chapter 13. And the first few verses there are the command by God to distribute the land. He reminds them, although they've won the battle, so to speak, there is still a mopping up operation. There are still enemies out there that you have to go and defeat. Although many places had fallen and they kind of they occupied the territory that God had given them he said it's not over my enemies are still out there people who hate you do evil despicable practice you still need to drive them out of the land to own it so you won't succumb to their evil ways and you'll still be holy and follow me it's in that notice in that first verse Joshua's getting old he was old when they entered the land he's got older because they've had years of campaign taking the land he's getting old and he's saying actually it's not time for you Joshua you need to distribute the land now and others need to go and take on what it means to finish this operation of taking the land and they were to drive out um, the um, inhabitants who were still there and there was to be in a portion of the land under God's guidance so then we get into chapter the rest of chapter 13 starting at verse 8 is the tribes who were on the other side of the Jordan we as we sorted the Jordan River if the Jordan River was here and this is from your point of view the east side of the Jordan as they were coming to the land there were several tribes that said actually we like this land can we have this land in our inheritance and God had said yes and they were the tribes of uh, Manasseh and Reuben and Gad and they had their land even before Joshua the book began. But God said to them, you need to come across the Jordan with your brothers to fight for the rest of the land and help them do it. And they said, yes, we're with God's people. We're going to go. We're all one people. So we have a reminder there of their inheritance. So they've got that land. So that is detailed. Then we flip over to chapter 14. And what we have here is the land is being divided up by the tribes. And it's done kind of at first in lists of importance. So the tribe of Judah comes first. Now why would the tribe of Judah come first? They were given a special blessing back in Genesis as the sons of Jacob. Just before he died, he blessed all his sons. And for various reasons, God chose Judah as the the fourth son And he said, actually, there's going to be a special blessing to Judah that actually one day a leader would come from Judah who would be the one who would rule all people. And who was that? Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that tribe grew and multiplied and had first place amongst the tribes of Israel. So they are kind of, they come out first. So they receive their inheritance and it's kind of detailed there in chapter 14 chapter 15 in the midst of there there's a little aside about a man named Caleb Matthew's going to deal with him next week Um, he was the one of the original spies who went into the land back in numbers along with Joshua the only one of that generation who survived Matthew will deal with him next week so there's a little bit about Joshua and then it talks about the whole tribe as um getting their land but there's a little bit of ominous stuff we'll come back to in a moment if you look at verse 63 of chapter 15 it says But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. 
So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah in Jerusalem to this day. So it's not all, it's not all kitten paws and roses for them. So then we go on to the next one. The inheritance to the land of Joseph. The author treats them as one. Joseph had two sons while he was down in Egypt. We were in Genesis. They were called Ephraim and Manasseh. And they, they, their tribes grew in prominence as well for what God had done through Joseph. And it talks about and Manasseh obviously had land on the other side of the Jordan. It's now getting land on this side as well because it's a very large tribe as well as Ephraim as well. So their allotment then is detailed. But within that we also get Joshua chapter 16 verse 10. The, um, the tribe of Ephraim. It says, however, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Giza. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. So they were not following God's commandments there. Then we get Ephraim is the back half there of chapter 17. But if you go to verses 12 and 13, you get this. Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities. But the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in the land. Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor. But they did not utterly drive them out, which is what God had asked them to do. Again, a failure on their part. Then we flip over, we've got verses 18 and 19. And effectively, you've got the remaining tribes. Benjamin, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Dan, and Naphtali. And they're basically, all their inheritances are detailed there. So that's the kind of the overview. And then the last final bit of chapter 19 is actually an inheritance personally for Joshua. And he receives some as the leader of God's people. So there is the inheritance of the land. So that is the fulfillment of God's promise to these people. Now, I want five, just five quick things I want us to notice from that. What can we take away from that as we read that? Well, the first thing to notice there is the land was a gift from God. It was a gift from God. Very clear, we've seen throughout the book of Joshua that God was the one giving the victory. It wasn't down to the skills or the strength or the ingenuity of the people of Israel. It wasn't like they were the smart ones. Hey, that, that, we've got an idea. We want to live over there. There's people in the way. Let's see if we can go and take this. No, no. It was all God's initiative. He was the one driving it. He is the one who made the promise way back to Abraham. He is the one who said, I'm the one who's going to fulfill this. I am the one giving it to you. He even says to the people, God, I didn't choose you because you're the most numerous people on the earth. I've just chosen by grace to set my heart upon you and show you favor. And so all this land that they are receiving is a gift from God. And so when it comes to even the division of the land, God is the one driving it. God is saying, actually, I'm the one who's telling you to divide the land. This is coming from me. And we see this at the beginning of chapter 14, a character named Eleazar. He's a priest. He was the son of Aaron. And Aaron was the high priest with Moses. Aaron died before he entered the promised land. Eleazar is his son. He becomes a priest. And he is God's representative to the people. So he's the one who would go into the tabernacle where the presence of God were. He was the one who would be leading the sacrifices once a year on the day of atonement. He was the one going to the Holy of Holies. He's the priest. He's God's priest. So he represents the people to God, but also God to the people. And he is involved in this. So this isn't just a real estate deal. This isn't just like, hands up who's ever bought a house. I, I weep for thee. It's not, a, it's not a nice experience, is it? It can be long drawn out and all those things. But that's just a, that's just a real estate transaction. There's bartering. How much are you going to give me for this? What about this? What about the fixes and fittings? Oh, we've just found damp. Drop the price. All that palaver. And then they drop out the last minute. And ah! 
that's just a business transaction. Contracts and like, this isn't like that. This is something of the divine hand of God fulfilling his promises to the people. And so God had commanded Moses to allot the land. Moses had died. The, the command had been inherited then by Joshua and he's gone with the priests and they are then passing up the land in fulfillment of God's word to them. So the land is a gift from God. Number two, the land was an inheritance. I counted, not sure it's entirely accurate, you can check me on it, I think it's about 19 times in that passage the word inheritance comes up. It's an inheritance. The author, God himself, is reminding the people, reminding us that what they are receiving is an inheritance. It is not wages. You haven't earned this. It's not like, well, I've done all this work, God. You owe me. No, that's not how inheritance works. Inheritance is something that is passed down to you by a previous generation. It is something you just receive. It is not something that is owed to you. It is not something you earned. It's not something you are entitled to. It's something that they choose to pass on. Has anyone here ever received an inheritance? It is a great blessing to be given that, but it's not something that you can ever demand. It's something that actually is just passed on to you. And so when this happens and the people receive their heavens, it meant that the land could not be sold from the family and tribe. There are actually laws in the book of Leviticus that says actually you receive this land from God. This is your bit, your allotment within your tribe, within your family group. You get this area. But actually there were laws. You couldn't just sell that off and make a fast buck and go off somewhere else. Actually that was belonged to your family. And that you were given it, you then passed it on. It was something that stayed within the family. When we studied the book of Ruth last summer... I think it was. That, that's what came up with the redeeming and the land and Boaz, the Ruth, and there was someone else closer who could take the land. That's the whole thing. Actually, it belonged and it stayed within a family. And so what this means was that every family knew their inheritance. They knew where it was. They knew where it started. They knew where it finished. They knew the boundaries of it. And they knew that would stay within their family and that would be a reminder to them of what God had done for them the fulfillment of his promise. They were literally living in it. When they walked out of their door and they saw the land around them, they saw the mountains and the rivers that would have marked boundaries of it, they said, this is our inheritance. This is what God has given to us. The third thing is it was divided up by lot. It says in chapter 14, verse 2, that actually um, that it was the inheritance was by lot, which means they, it, there was a certain element of whatever word you want to use, chance, luck. We don't know how they did it. We don't know if they span a wheel or if there was a big ball with balls inside that suddenly spat them out and they said, who's number 24? This is your bit. We don't know how they did it particularly. We just know they did it. Now, does this mean it was random? Well, if we read the book of Proverbs, it says the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. The fact that it was by lot meant there was no bias. You couldn't bias it. There was no manipulation to be done because it was done in that kind of just open chance way. But it meant that God was behind everything. So whatever you got, whatever was yours, was something that was chosen to you by God. He was the one in control of it. 
It was further evidence of God's sovereign hand over this situation, which had been from the beginning of the book of Joshua. God is the one in control. I'm the one giving you the land. I'm the one who's going to fight your battles. I'm the one who's going to bring you victory. I'm the one who's going to drive out your enemies before you. And I'm the one giving you the land. And when this tribe got this land, within it that family got this bit of that land, it was all by God's hand and God was in control of it all. The fourth thing, everybody received. Everyone received. No one missed it out. Every tribe got an inheritance. The sharp-eyed amongst you will notice one of the tribes wasn't actually mentioned, which was Levi. We'll come to that. They got an inheritance. It was just slightly different. But the tribe of Levi we'll deal with in a later sermon. But all the tribes got an inheritance. They all received something. And all within the tribes would have received their inheritance. No one missed out. All the sons of Jacob received according to the promises of God. There was no one left on the outside. There was no one outside. There was no one like, well, what about me? You've forgotten me. Nothing like that. Everybody got something. Everybody was included with God's plan. No one was excluded. There was no one inferior within God's people. There were no first and second class citizens within the people of God. They weren't the ones who were at the front who were the best, who shouted the loudest or had the prominent positions who, who got something and those at the back, maybe quieter, you know, out, you know, on the edge, didn't know so many people who got nothing. No. Everybody received from God. So everybody got their gift. Everyone got their inheritance from Him. And the fifth and final thing we can take away from there is an unfortunate ominous sign. Despite the victory that God had won, that had been detailed in previous chapters, there was still an enemy to fight. There were still pockets of resistance. There were still people in the land who were under God's judgment, who needed to be driven out, which means the people of God still had work to do. Yes, they received their inheritance, but it wasn't all over. There were still skirmishes to fight. They still had to be alert. They still had to be active. They still had to be on the front foot. They still had to be faithful in following God. They didn't just sit back and get to do nothing. No, they were still a forward-looking um, momentum to what they're doing. They still had to walk in faith with God's hand over them. And we see particularly, interestingly, it's from the, the, the first three tribes, which were the big, bigger, more prominent tribes, more numerous Judah, Ephraim, and Manasseh, it particularly mentions that they had work to do, but it also mentions their failure in following God's commands. Because it says, and I read those three bits out in chapter 15, chapter 16, and chapter 17, that they still had to drive people out. They'd kind of broken the back, but there was still resistance. And God said, you drive them out. Because they're going to be a problem if they hang around. They're going to lead you astray. They're going to do all those things. They were under God's judgment. But we find out that they compromised. They didn't quite do it all. They didn't quite follow God's commands. And if you follow the story of the people of God, that leads to all sorts of problems in their future from their failure to do that. It's a failure to take hold of what God had for them. All right, that's just a quick sort of overview of those six chapters Please go and read them with some of those things in mind. Look out for those kind of um, pointers in there. And I've just got three kind of application points I want to finish with today to bring this kind of down to earth for us to land. What does this mean for us 
right here today, many miles away, thousands of years removed. Number one, we have an inheritance. As the people of God, we have an inheritance. Jesus talked about it, parable of the tenants in the vineyard. He mentions having an inheritance in God. If we go to the letters that come after the Gospels, it's actually quite explicit in numerous places. We find in the book of Ephesians, chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, it says, In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Later on it says, um, we have received the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Later, Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae. It says, verse, um, chapter, 12 verse, sorry, chapter 1, verse 12, May you be strengthened with power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Later in the same letter, he says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. The writer to the Hebrews, we preached through Hebrews a while back, but it says this in chapter 9, verse 15. It says, Jesus, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who call may receive the promised eternal inheritance. The Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, wrote this in his letter. Chapter 1, verses 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have an inheritance to look forward to as the people of God. I think the New Testament is clear. We have something coming to us. It is not something we have earned, and it is most definitely something we do not deserve. But we have something coming towards us. And Peter describes it as imperishable, undefiled, unfading. This is something eternal. This is something pure and holy. This is something from God. It is an internal inheritance that will last forever. This is God's kingdom that we are to inherit, that we are to be a part of. The land in the book of Joshua was a physical place. You can go there now and actually stand in it. It has a geography to it. But it's pointing to something bigger pointing to something better, pointing to something fuller. This world, the Bible said, will ultimately fail. It will be wrapped up like an old garment and tossed away. It will be renewed and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. If we look to the end of the book and the book of Revelation, we see it kind of laid out there. That's where it's all heading. That's why it's at the end of the book. That's where everything's going. There's going to be something new, something great, and we are to inherit that. That is our destination. That is what we are heading towards. It's a place where God is going to be in his presence, and we will see him face to face. There is a throne, and there is one sitting on that throne who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is the Lamb who was slain, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And we're going to see him and be with him forever. 
And all God's people will be there from all nations and tribes and people groups throughout the ages will all be joined together before the throne and we will worship him and praise him forever. And we will enjoy this new heaven and this new earth and we will have eternity to explore it. And it's never ever going to fade away. And the Bible is explicit. It says there's going to be no death there. There's going to be no mourning there. There's going to be no crying or pain. It will all be gone. And as believers in Jesus, that is what we have to look forward to. So as we, as we read about people getting an inheritance in a land we've probably never been to, in places we've never heard of, with weird-sounding names and just stuff that you think, why is this here? It's because it's pointing to a greater reality. It's pointing to something bigger. And it's pointing to something that we are going to inherit. Those verses we read saying that there's a guarantee. We have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, guess what? It's a guarantee of what is to come. That's what it's there for. He's there, he's there to, to remind you of what's happening, to raise your eyes, to look forward, to see the future with the eyes of faith and say there is something coming that is so much better. And that is going to be ours and it will be ours forever and no one will ever take it away from us. The second thing that we take from this is this inheritance exists in both a now and a not yet way. Now and not yet. Although it is real, it has been secured by Jesus' death and resurrection, it is guaranteed in that sense, we see it by faith. We don't see it by sight. We don't physically get to see it. We see it with the eyes of faith. We do not fully experience it now. We still live like the people of God in the story there in Joshua with battles still to fight. With enemies who are still opposed to God. And we have to live in that. But we do see that God's kingdom in part. How do we see that? Well, first of all, we see it in transformed lives. If you're a Christian here, if you're a believer here, that is your number one evidence of God's kingdom at work and your number one evidence of what is to come and the future that you have secure. You have been born again, the Bible says, if you're a believer here. You've been transferred from death to life. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have been justified, it says. Declared not guilty before God. You have been adopted into His family. He is now your Father. You have a Heavenly Father. You have been sanctified and being sanctified. You are being transformed day by day into the image of His Son. God is at work of that. You are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We just taught the kids about that and there was a song. That's what we sang. But that's what's happening. God's kingdom is there. And all that is evidence of what God is going to do, is doing in your life, but also the guarantee of what is to come in the future. Not only is it what's happening in our lives, what's happened to us, we have to just look around. We see a church that is growing and a kingdom of God that is advancing. The kingdom of God is broken in and it is advancing all around the world every day. And we define the kingdom of God as where his rule is. It's not a kingdom like geographical. It's where God's ruling and reigning, which begins in our lives, but it then flows out from us into the areas we go to. We see answers to prayer and great breakthrough in people's lives. We just have one here. We had a testimony from Di 
incredible. Thank you for illustrating my sermon. <laughs> so well. Anyone had answers to prayers? Anyone seen God's kind of kingdom break out in people's life? It's incredible. It's an evidence that God's kingdom is here and it's advancing. We see hurting people comforted and lonely being brought into families. We see that. We see the sick healed and diseases go and we celebrate as a result. We hear the good news of things that are happening around the world. A couple of weeks back we had Andy Martin come and stand on this stage. He has the privilege of traveling around the world helping get churches planted. He told some pretty hair-raising stories about what is God is doing in certain nations, closed nations, places that would not let you come and say you're a Christian. They might put you in jail or, or worse, be saying actually God's kingdom is advancing in there because you cannot stop it. We know it exists. We see great many things. There's so many evidences around about yet at the same time. The old order of things is still here. There is still persecution and setback for the church. There are still times when the church fails or opposition comes. Leaders get it wrong. Persecution comes. Things that you think, what's going on? There's something, a struggle here. It doesn't, it's not easy doing anything. We see sin and evil are still very active in the world today. You just have to turn on your television and watch the news for a few moments and you realize... It's still here. There are still battles to fight. We still get old and die. No matter how much we pray and how much God heals, that's the trajectory for us all. You're welcome. (laughs) There always seems to be yet another story of tragedy and pain and hurt and breakdown and destruction. And so we live in this tension. God's kingdom has broken in. Christ has come. He's, he, he, he inaugurates that. He proclaimed that. That was his message. The kingdom of God is at hand. He demonstrated it with deliverance and healings and miracles and proclamation of the good news. He welcomed in the pauses and the outside and the outcasts. He died on a cross. He rose from death and he said, this is it. And he said to his church, go tell everybody. And so we see that breaking in, but at the same time, we live in this tension of this old order. We still have an enemy who hates us and wants to destroy us, who hates God's church and hates his people and hates everything about us. And we still have to. We know he's defeated. We know that's what the cross means, but he's still there. And there are still battles to fight with all of us. We live in the now and the not yet, which can be tough. The final thing I want us to take away from this is victory is sure, but there are still battles to fight. Jesus won. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is sitting on his throne and ruling all creation. He is sovereign over all things. Yet, he tells us to go. He tells us to fight Joshua said to his people, God's won this victory. This land is yours, but you've still got to go and finish up. You've still got to keep going. You can't sit back. You can't be apathetic. You can't be lazy. You cannot be complacent. You have to keep going. That is why the New Testament is full of commands and encouragements to keep going, keep serving, keep praying, 
Don't let your love grow cold. Keep it aflame. Do whatever it can to keep focus. Run the race. Don't give up. Don't look back. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep meeting together as the people of God. Very clear commands. Keep loving one another. Keep serving one another. Keep standing by one another. Keep being around each other. And we are not to quit. That is the call for us. Do not quit. Keep going. Keep fighting. Well, we don't use the weapons of this world. We don't have guns and bombs and tanks. We use different weapons. We go in the power of the Spirit. We show humility and meekness and we love those around us and we serve those around us and we proclaim the good news of Jesus fearlessly. But God has told us to do that. We, we battle in prayer by getting on our knees and saying, God, come and move in this situation. Come and transform this situation. Come and save these people. Do something here. That's what we're to do. But we are still to fight. We have to fight personally. We have to fight battles in our own life. We have to fight the battle against unforgiveness and bitterness that creeps in when we find ourselves faced with opposition and hurt and pain through relationships, sometimes through just mistakes people make, sometimes through vindictive actions they make. It all comes to us because of this fallen world, but we have to just keep going. We have to keep clinging on to God. We have a battle to read His Word and pray. We've put a challenge out to you guys this year to work on your Bible reading and prayer. That's our one focus of the year, to be daily in God's Word and daily praying. How are you doing on that? If you say, I'm finding it hard, duh, in a nice way, yeah, it is. It's a battle. You should, you know. That's, it requires effort. It requires focus. It requires going. But you can do it by His grace. I know you can do it because you all had breakfast and cleaned your teeth this morning. You can do it. Things that are important get done. But you can do it. Keep going. It's important. Don't give up. This Tuesday is our prayer meeting. Seamless link there. Come and pray with us. It will be hard after a long day's work. You'll be tired. We all will be. But we're going to get together and we're going to pray and we're going to seek the Lord because there are still battles to fight. And we want victory to come in the name of Jesus. It's a battle to show love towards people. Have you found that? Are you thinking of that person now? It's a battle to show them love sometimes. If you're not, they're thinking about you. I'm just saying, that's the way it works. In our friendships, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our marriages, it's a battle, but we have to keep going. We have to choose to love, choose to forgive, choose to care and keep striving on. Be honest, be humble before one another. We still have battles in our homes and our schools and our workplaces. Battles for integrity, battles for right living, battles for holiness and battles against injustice and gossip and vindictiveness and pulling people down. We have to keep fighting those battles. There are battles for the name of Jesus, how people talk about him. And we have to speak the truth in love. No, he is alive and he loves you and he wants to know you. And he has got good things for you. That's what we've got to keep doing. And the danger for us is that we become like Israel. And we fail to fight. Because if you follow the story of the people of Israel, there's the ominous first signs there we saw in chapters 15, 16 and 17 of their failure 
because I'm doing the kind of Bible in a year thing, I've progressed through the entire narrative section. So I've done Joshua and beyond. You get the judges and then you get the kingdoms in Samuel and Kings. And the trajectory is just down the toilet. They didn't fight. They were apathetic. They compromised. They didn't repent of their sin. And eventually it led to exile. The good news is God doesn't give up on his people and we get Jesus. And he, but he still calls us and he says, you've still got to keep going, church. You've got to keep fighting. And so our challenge today for you guys is, how are you doing in the battle? How are you doing in the fight? You have an inheritance in God. You have received it in one sense and there is way more to come. You've got that. But how are you doing in the fight? How are you doing? Are you keeping going? Are you keeping that love alive? Are you keeping the flame burning? Or are you prone to laziness, apathy? Are you compromising with sin? Are you giving in with areas that you should be fighting for? Are you just trying to ignore it, hoping it going away? Are you failing to share with one another and say, this is what I'm struggling with, help me, pray for me? Are you going to God in prayer and saying, God, I need grace to fight this? Are you reading your word, which is the fuel, which gives you the weapons to fight, the truth, to combat the lies of the enemy? Are you doing that, church? Because the Bible is full of warnings as well, of saying, don't give up. We saw that in Hebrews. Warning after warning, don't give up. Don't lose what God has for you because of your you know, apathy. I think we're going to stop there. Do you want to stand up? Can the band come up? I want to pray for us because I think there's people here who need to make some commitments to God. And I just want to pray and then we're going to worship and see if God's got anything else for us for the last few minutes. So do you want to just close your eyes? Open your hands. I was struck by that story that Di told this morning um, about someone she knew. I was struck by her age. She was old in a nice way, wasn't she? Older than many of us, yet God worked in her life. God came to her and saved her, and now she has an inheritance like us. She has something to look forward to, even as her body breaks down and eventually will die. She has an inheritance that cannot perish or spoil or fade, and that is beautiful news. That is wonderful news. And I just want to start, well, if you're here and you're not a believer and you don't know Jesus, you're not a Christian, we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to talk to you what it means to follow him, to repent of your sin, to turn away, put your faith and trust in him and have an eternity that is secure. If you are a believer here, I just want to pray for you. I want to start by thanking God. Thank you, Lord, that we have an inheritance in you. We have an inheritance that cannot be taken from us because of your death and resurrection. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that it is secure. It is beyond the realm of governments and repossessions and thieves and legal actions and anything that could come against it. It's just beyond that. Thank you for the new heavens and the new earth that we will one day be with you forever. Lord, thank you for your presence, Lord Jesus. We just rejoice in that. And Lord, I want to thank you that that kingdom has broken into this world now and we experience it. That we are part of that. That we have seen it in our own lives as you saved us and transformed us from life to death. Thank you for the church 
which is your agent for bringing about that kingdom. Thank you for what you've done here, brought us into your church worldwide, as well as this local expression here, Lord. We praise you for that, Lord Jesus. And we ask God, give us grace to fight the battles, the ones we fight every day, Lord Jesus, the ones that we're going to face as we go home. We're going to work tomorrow, and the kids, we're not working tomorrow, day off. The day after, you know, Lord Jesus, we ask you to give us grace to that. And for those amongst you now who know that you're, you're in the fight and you feel like you're losing, whether it's for your own sin, whether it's just it feels overwhelming, I want to pray for grace for you. I want to pray particularly for grace for you. Lord Jesus, would you come and fill us with your spirit, Lord, and give us grace to fight, to keep running the race when it's tough, when it hurts, when we feel weighed down. Lord, forgive us because we sin and we get things wrong and we ignore you and we get involved in stupid things and we just make dumb choices. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, and right now, fill us with your spirit so we can run, eyes fixed on you, persevering, keeping going. Give us grace to say no to temptation, to get into your word, to pray. God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can.